Listen, what's in your hand today? I want to start off with that question. What's in your hand? Well, my phone, or air, or sweat. No, 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 let's not be literal. Think for a second. What's in your hand? That's the question God asked Moses. He asked Moses when Moses said, I don't know if I can do this, Lord. I don't know if I'm cut out for this. And instead of God saying, yeah, you can. Come on, son. Just kind of buck up a little bit. and You know, hang tough. No, God said, well, what's in your hand? And he said, piece of wood, staff. And then God used that thing in his hand to become the, the, almost the, 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 the counterpart to Moses' entire ministry. Wherever Moses went, he had that staff, that thing that God put in his hand to use as a talent, as a gift, as a tool. Today what I want to talk about is what's in your hand. What was in your hand as you were thinking just now? Was it maybe an ability to um, build things? Or was it maybe um, a compassionate personality? Was it maybe an ability to uh, make music or make finances or make spreadsheets? Whatever that talent is, that is something that God can turn into a powerful counterpart for the rest of your life. That's what I believe. And so we've been talking about money this past season, and really that's exactly what money is. Well, what's in your hand? Well, I have, I have a couple of dollars, or I have, I have all of this estate, I have wealth, or whatever I have. That's not just for us to use. It's something that God gives us to use as a talent. And last Sunday, we talked about the parable of the talents. And today, we're going to talk about the parable that comes immediately after that parable. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. In other words, I believe that God gives us talents not just to use for ourselves or for our own selfish needs. God gives us gifts so that we can bless the poor. And this is something that's been coming up a lot at Woven these past um, months, maybe one or two months as we've been in this series about money, um, I did not, I give you my word, I did not set out with the intention for us uh, to talk about serving the poor. I did not know that was going to happen. In fact, you know good Bible study when the scripture takes you places that you didn't originally anticipate. And so each Sunday as we've been studying and think, talking and thinking about things like money and desire and value and economics and all that stuff, God has consistently brought us to these three fundamental principles. If you can pull them up on the screen, the basic principles of this entire series is that in God's kingdom, first of all, the poor come first. There's no way around this. It's inescapable. In God's economics, the poor will always come first. Well, then, that means that we should give more money to the poor. Is that what the answer is? The second principle is the best way to serve the poor is to create wealth, not necessarily redistribute wealth. 
that's what we've been learning through this series on economics. Um, I was watching a, an episode of Colbert a couple of nights ago. I think it was an older episode. And he had Bill and Melinda Gates on the show, the second wealthiest people on the planet. And um, when he said that, he said, you're the second wealthiest couple on the planet. And they said, we're trying to, we're, we're trying to fall behind in that number. They're trying to give away their money. Now the question is, is that the solution? Would the world be a better place if all the wealthy people just gave away all their money or were taxed higher and therefore the poor would have more money? Is that the solution? I don't think that that's the perfect solution. I think that there's going to be a lot of challenges to that. The best way to serve the poor is not to just take money away from these people and give it to those people. I think the best way is to create wealth-creating opportunities. It's to create wealth. Give on-ramps to people so that they, too, can find ways through enterprise, through stewardship of whatever they have, so that the pie is a growing pie. It's not a zero-sum zero sum pie, if you remember me talking about this. So that it's a growing pie. Everybody has a chance. And therefore, the third principle is it is appropriate and reasonable to, uh, to pursue wealth if our primary motivation is to serve the poor. It's appropriate and reasonable. If our primary motivation is to serve the poor, it's appropriate and reasonable to pursue wealth. Let me tell you a really quick story this past week, my wife and I went to the Stoller Foundation, and we picked up a check for $9,000 from the Stoller Foundation written out to Woven Church. I have it, I have it right here. And this check is to send 20 children, 20 young people, 20 kids, 20 youth to summer camp. That's 20. Now, if you remember, in the years past, last year, I think we sent a little over 10 kids and in the last three years, if you add this up, he's given us, the Stoller Foundation has given us about $17,000. No, actually, that's exactly right. Precisely $17,000 over the course of three years so that we could send kids, so that we could send youth to summer camp. And this year, with $9,000 spread out, you could basically send, we could send 20, 20 people summer camp. And this is, this is a really powerful ministry. Um, who here, just raise your hand high, have been to summer camp? That includes me. If you've been to summer camp, let people see. So this way, people know that you've been to camp. They know that you're, we hope you're going again. But here's the thing. We can also use those finances, and I want you to listen carefully, young people. You can invite a friend. You can invite a friend, somebody that, that, if it's a classmate or a relative or a friend, you can invite them out to Woven, and we can disperse the camp grant to them, and it's, a, it's actually a pathway not only to evangelism. If this friend is not a Christian, even better. Say, we have a free, we have a camp where we can offer to you for free, but Woven is going to require you to come out to church. It's a great pathway for evangelism and discipleship. You see, money, when it's used wisely, can actually reap great dividends. And a man like Stoller, I, I, I was at his home uh, a couple of years ago. I think you were with me, Sang. And in his house, Sang can attest to this, he doesn't live in a posh Beverly Hills mansion. He doesn't drive Lambos. 
very modest person that decided God gave him gifts. He was able to pursue wealth. I mean, he has this huge building on, on uh, just off of I-10, you know, but he uses that money to serve the poor. And we were just one organization, probably out of 20 organizations receiving the summer camp grant. Here's an example of the pursuit of wealth, but in the end, to serve the poor. And so we're kind of really landing on this theme of serving the poor. And I can talk about this till I'm blue in the face, but what I want you to think about is what is in my hand that will help people. We, we talk about doing all of this ministry and all of that stuff, and don't worry about it. Forget about it. Forget about what ministry amongst these people. Forget about ministry at all. Think about yourself today. What is in my hand? What is the gift, the talent that God has given me? And how is that something I can use to serve people? On that note, turn to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31 this is immediately following last Sunday what I talked about in the parable of the talents. This is the parable of the sheep and the goats. So listen to the word of the Lord. If you have your Bible, look there. Today it will be useful for you to flip some pages in your scripture. Hear the word of the Lord. But when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from the other, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on his right, and he'll put the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Inherit the kingdom. In other words, those of you that are going to inherit the kingdom are those who are the sheep on the right. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was in prison, and you came to me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. And the righteous, they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to, the, to one, of the, one of these brothers of mine, even the least of these, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. Naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. And they themselves also will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, or in prison? And we didn't take care of you. And he'll say, truly, to the extent you did not do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Those on the right, they served the poor, the naked, the thirsty, the hungry, those in prison, those who were sick. They served them. And therefore, 
they are those who are blessed. Those on the left who didn't serve the poor or didn't help or didn't care or didn't visit, they are the ones, they are the goats. They didn't do it to the poor, and in the end, they suffer. Pretty straightforward message, right? You kind of get the gist of the idea. Here's the thing. This story is pretty much succinct, it's self-contained, it's all there. But the story is so deeper, it goes so much deeper if you read it in its larger context. This story, this parable of the sheep and goats, serve the poor, that's the message, it's all there. But when you read the story in its larger context, it's more powerful. It's, it's kind of like this. Um, a couple of weekends ago, my wife and daughter went away on the women's retreat. And so my son and I, we had a bro date. My son and I um, decided to catch an early showing of Shazam. This was a brilliant movie. It was so good. I loved it. Um, I think it just, actually, I don't even think it's out yet. So we caught an early showing. So I, I'll try really hard not to spoil it. Um, but the thing is, it's one of those movies. This is not really going to spoil it. But it's one of those movies, if you've seen the commercial, if you've seen the commercial, you pretty much got the basic premise. You got the basic premise. Young boy acquires superhero powers and does all kind of immature things with the superhero powers. That's pretty much the whole story. Now, mind you, there's a lot more. It was a good movie, and um, don't get me wrong, I didn't spoil it. There, there are twists, and it was a, there's a lot more. You just got to sit and watch the whole thing. But somebody's going to say, that's, that's, a, that's a dumb movie. I saw the commercial. It's pretty much the whole thing. No, listen, sit down and watch the whole thing. Watch the whole thing because there's, it's a great story. There's more to it. There's plot twists. There's good stuff. You see, the point is, this parable, it's pretty much all there. It's like the preview. Uh, Serve the poor. That's the message. But when you watch and sit down and watch the whole thing, when you read the whole story, it's a great movie. It's an even better story. It's an even more powerful message about serving the poor. So what I want to do is take you not just through the preview or the commercial for Shazam. What I want to do is walk you through the entire thing. Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, and Matthew chapter 26. And I'm not going to read all three chapters, but I want to introduce to you in these three headings, in these three sections, the larger story that Jesus has about serving the poor. It's really powerful. So if you look in your notes, let's start with that first heading, Matthew 24. This is the beginning of the movie, as the movie as a stage is being set. In Matthew 24, what we see right from the get-go is Jesus coming out of the temple and reflecting on everything that he sees. And then the disciples ask him, when will these things come to place? And Jesus begins to talk about the end. Jesus begins to talk about all these things that are going to happen, all these things, horrible things, terrible things. It's like a left-behind movie. It's like the last days. It's like... Like, I'm thinking, you know, Constantine or Armageddon or what's that movie uh, with uh, the, 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 the comet coming to smash through Earth with all of those old Ben Affleck and what is it called? 
deep impact or I'm thinking the Armageddon. Armageddon, right. So it's an Arm- So Jesus begins to talk about Armageddon. He begins to talk about the end. When you look at verse 15, Matthew 24, he talks about the abomination of desolation. <laughs> I'm not going to get too into this because this is a complicated teaching. But he says, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, when you see the abomination standing in the holy place, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. So in other words, he's saying, watch out. You're going to see the abomination standing in the holy place. In another gospel, it also says, when you see the armies surrounding, the, surrounding Jerusalem. So he's saying, look for these things. When you see the abomination of desolation, when you see the armies descend on Jerusalem, flee to the hills. When we read this, we interpret this to think that it's something that's far in the future, that something, some abomination that causes desolation is coming. Some Armageddon type event is coming. But as Jesus was talking and teaching this, he was talking about things not just future, but also present, I believe. There's an interesting thing when you look at Matthew 24, verse 15. In parentheses, it says, let the reader understand. Do you see that? Matthew is saying, when you see all of these things happen, let the reader understand. It's like, when you see these things happen, wink, wink. When you see these things happen, Remember that stuff we were talking about? You see, the thing is, we read Matthew today, but we forget that Matthew was speaking to a specific context and a specific audience. So, for example, today I'm speaking to you. I think this sermon, I hope it's effective. Maybe in the year 4019, 2,000 years from now, this sermon will still be relevant. But the fact of the matter is I'm talking to Texans in the year 2019, under the Donald Trump administration, during this period of human history, I'm speaking to a context today. The point that I'm making is Matthew, as he writes this, is speaking to Christians in the first century to the specific context that they're in. He's telling them about something that they've heard and discussed. He's telling them to look out for something that they've talked about in hushed tones behind closed doors. Watch out for the abomination. Watch out for the armies. And they took this so seriously that in the year A.D. 70, track with me here, in the year A.D. 70, when the armies actually began to descend on Jerusalem, when they saw Romans and Greeks putting statues of Zeus in their temple, abominations that caused desolation, they literally ran away from the city and fled to the mountains. And when they ran away, the Roman armies descended on Jerusalem, and then they broke through, and you know how many Jews died in that year? A million. A million Jews died that year when all the armies crushed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. A million Jews died. Here's the thing. The Christians that were in the city at that time, did they die? No. Why didn't they die? What saved their lives? 
What saved their lives were these words. These were the words that saved their lives. Because they took seriously this message that Jesus is saying in chapter 24 of be prepared. Be prepared. Something is coming. Now, I happen to believe that something came, but something is still coming. And this gets a little complicated, and you can ask me about this later. But the point that I'm making, and I think the point that Matthew is making, is be prepared. Always be prepared, Christians. Because something is coming, and if you're not prepared, you're going to run into the city when you should be running out of the city. Be prepared, Christians, because something is coming when you see these signs. You should be moving. You should be prepared. You should be awake. You should be ready. Don't be caught red-handed. It's easy for us Christians today in America to live in the lap of consumerism and luxury and to not be prepared. But the Christian message and the timeless Christian message is be prepared. That's the essence of Matthew 24. All the way to the end of this chapter, when even when Jesus talks about the master is returning, when the master returns, will you be prepared? He talks about the fig tree. Check the tree. This is spring. Everything's beginning to grow again, which is a big surprise to me. After winter, I think nothing's going to come back, and I'm always surprised every spring. Whoa, that thing's growing. Jesus says, Check to see if it's growing. Check the, fee, the figs, the fig leaf, to see if they're ripe. Check to see if the times are ripe. Be prepared because when it's ripe, something's coming. So that's the big message of Matthew 24. Be prepared. Be prepared. Christians, Christians, don't let your guard down. Be prepared. But then this gets us to Matthew 25. We're in the second heading. In Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25, this theme of preparedness continues. It continues into the beginning of Matthew 25. What we see in Matthew 25 is interesting. There's a couple of parables. There's a group of parables. And the thing about these parables, um, when you read a parable, I don't know if this has happened to you. This happened to me as I was learning to read Scripture. You read the parable and you're like, I, what, what does that mean? I don't understand. What's the interpretation? And then you have another parable and then you have a group of parables and you're wondering, what's the, message, what's the main message through all of this? Some people believe, some people believe that Matthew 25 is kind of like a ransom note. I talked about this last Sunday. In the, if you've ever seen these spy movies or, you know, like these movies about kidnapping or something, and then they give you a note, and it's all the letters are cut out from different magazines and pasted together, you know, give me $5 million or you will never see so-and-so again. The ransom note. Some people believe that the Bible is written like a ransom note. There are stories, a couple of parables. Oh, let's just make this a parable section and let's just kind of throw all this stuff together and just kind of hodgepodge. It's arbitrary. There's no method. There's no message. We're just kind of clumping a bunch of stuff together, a couple of stories together. I happen to believe that Matthew 
purposely communicating something, and he's not arbitrarily just ransom note, just cut and paste a bunch of stories and putting them together. I happen to believe that Matthew is more like a composer. If you were to tell a composer, whoa, dude, you just threw in a bunch of notes into there, right? And you just kind of made music, and he would be so, or she would be so insulted. They would be insulted. They would say, no, 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 no. Every single note is placed in there for a reason. And every note, it, it builds up to this orchestral, it, it has a punchline, it has a swell, it has a purpose. There is a melody here. In other words, what I'm saying is the three parables in Matthew 25, each of them are purposely placed, one after the other, to convey a very important message. Let me tell you what that message is. The first parable in Matthew 25 is the parable of the virgins. The parable of the ten young women, probably teenage girls. And these ten virgins, these ten young women, are awaiting one man to walk through the door. And he will pick one to be his bride. That's wacky. Like weird marital practices they had back then except when you consider that we watch The Bachelor today, which is exactly the same premise. Ten young women waiting for one man to walk through the door and pick one of them. Well, what would it be like if you're watching The Bachelor, right? And there's ten, ten women all waiting for him, and when he shows up at 12 midnight, and five of the girls, five of these young, beautiful women, they fell asleep, and their makeup was all running, and their hair is like this, and they're all kind of like, <laughs> you know, morning breath and all this stuff. And, 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 and then they're like, wait, what happened? What happened? The, the, the bachelor showed up. Well, you were sleeping. You missed your chance. Why didn't you wake me up? I'm not going to wake you up. That's your responsibility. Well, no, no, no. I thought we were friends. You got to look out for me. No, it's your responsibility. The, 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 the ten virgins, they wake up and they say, oil, we, we need oil. Could you loan us some oil? No, no, no. That's your responsibility. The parable of the virgins, I think, speaks greatly to this principle of responsibility. Each person has to be responsible. You can't depend on somebody else to keep you prepared. We can't depend on somebody else to keep you prepared. The message that connects here with Matthew 24 is be prepared and don't expect your parents to wake you up. Be prepared and don't wait for that other person to come and say, the groom's here, wake up. Be prepared and don't be codependent on another person. Could I borrow some of your oil? Or please, can you wake me up when the master... No, no, no. You have to wake yourself up. Oh, my wife will wake me up. My wife will, will, will make sure that we're both prepared. No, no, she won't. Each of us individually have to be prepared. And so the message that connects Matthew 24 with Matthew 25 is when the master returns, <laughs> you can't wait for somebody else to prepare you. Do you understand this message? Nobody else can prepare you. Only you can be prepared. And you must take the responsibility for being prepared. Okay, that's the first parable. 
The second parable, which we talked about last Sunday, is the parable of the talents. And in this parable of the talents, the master gives away these talents, and he says, do well with them. You know what this is like, these three parables? It's kind of like this. It's like, um, it's like this dream that morphs all through the night. So let's say you've got a lot on your mind. You've got a lot on your mind. You're worried about tomorrow. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's a family situation, whatever it is. And you go to sleep tonight. And you go to sleep tonight, and as you're sleeping, you start to dream. You dream three dreams. And they're all about the same thing. They're anxiety dreams. They're anxiety dreams. They're, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like you know, um, you're, you're failing your test or, or you really have to go to the bathroom or some kind, of, some kind of anxiety dream. And that dream, it evolves throughout the night. This first dream, you're dreaming that you are one of these virgins, one of these young women waiting for the bachelor and the bachelor to return and you're preparing yourself, and you're trying to stay awake. You're trying to stay awake because the bachelor's coming. In the second dream, it's the same dream, but it kind of morphs a little. This time, you're no longer, you're no longer one of the young virgins. In the second dream, you're actually a servant. You're a servant. And instead of the bachelor, the bachelor becomes a master. And the master says, here, I've given you some talents. Do something with it. And now instead of being anxious you're about the, about the bat, you're anxious because i got to do something with this. I have to make a, a return on my investment. I have to make a return on this thing that the master has given me. And then the third parable, the parable that we just read today, and I'm bringing this home, the third and last parable is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And in this last dream, you're not one of the young women anxiously waiting for the bachelor. You're not the servant that's waiting for uh, the master to return and showing that you've done something with his talents. In the third and last dream, you're a sheep or you're a goat. And you're looking at yourself and you're wondering, what am I? What am I? And instead of the bachelor or the master, it's Jesus. And in this third dream, Jesus comes and you're worried Am I going to be a goat? Am I going to be a goat? The message that I think Matthew is conveying all through these three chapters, the message that he's conveying is, are you prepared when the bachelor returns? Are you prepared? But secondly, are you prepared and have you been stewarding the talents that he's given you? Are you prepared and have you been putting to good use the gifts that God has given you? Have you been putting to good use the good things that the master has given you? But the third and the last parable ties it up. Are you prepared? Have you been stewarding the talents that you have for the poor? The connection here as it flows ultimately is this. God blesses you so that you can serve the poor with what he's given you. And when he comes back, will we be caught using our gifts for the poor? The message that drives home here is stewardship of your talents is the same thing as serving the poor. Serving the poor is what stewarding your talents well means. 
How many of you have watched the Oscars or the Emmys recently? I know they came on a couple of months ago. Invariably, there's always somebody in these award shows that comes on the stage and says, I want to thank God. I want to thank God for this blessing. And the point is, God does bless you with special gifts. I think God does bless people who are worthy to win Oscar awards or Emmy awards or Grammys or whatever. God blesses you. But God doesn't bless you for yourself. All of those blessings, when they say, God, I I thank God, he's blessed me, he doesn't bless you for that house in the Hollywood Hills. He blesses you for the purpose of serving the poor. If we misunderstand that I'm gifted with all of these talents just for me, we will end up a goat in that anxiety dream. We will have misunderstood the purpose of blessing. We will have misunderstood the purpose of talents. Talents are for the purpose of other people, not ourselves. So the great message here, I think, tying in from Matthew 24 to 25, really is this thing, if you're prepared you will be caught serving the poor. And what does it mean to be prepared when the master returns? It means, will he find us serving the poor? Will the master, when he returns, not find us singing and using our talents talents wonderfully or exercising and building these great estates with wealth? When he returns, the number one thing he's looking is, did we use our talents for the sake of the poor? That's how we know we're ready. That's how we know we're prepared. And this leads to the last section, Matthew 26. Matthew 26, and we'll close with this. Matthew 26, verse 1, it says, When Jesus finished all these words, that's important. When Jesus finished all these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. In other words, he's anticipating Easter. At this point, the story changes. It's no longer, no longer Jesus' words and his teachings. Now it's narrative. This is what happened to Jesus. In other words, the very last teaching of Jesus to his disciples in the book of Matthew is to remember the poor. The very last thing he says is to remember the poor. In the Jewish worldview, in the Jewish worldview, sometimes they, they say a lot of things. They have, this, they have this verbal kind of, this verbal technique where they'll tell you a lot of things, but in the end, the last thing they said is the most important thing. For example, let's say... Um, My children, if they woke up late, I woke up late. Oh, my goodness, you're late for school. And I say, get up, brush your teeth, eat breakfast, put your clothes on, go to school, go to school, go to school. The most important thing that I'm communicating is go. You're late. The last word is go. The last word. In Jesus' teaching here, 
the very last word he leaves his disciples with, the last thing in his teaching, the thing that's supposed to stick in the memory and that we're supposed to remember is the poor. Remember the poor. Don't forget the poor. In so doing, I think Jesus pretty much sets the stage for the whole uh, philosophy, the whole ministry of the church because for the from this point on, for the rest of Christian history, the church would always be on the forefront of serving the poor. Why? Because it was the last command he gave us. Don't forget, remember the poor, remember the poor. You know, as I kind of land this plane, here at Woven, um, in our board meetings, we're talking about this. We're talking about what's the best way that Woven can get activated and not just talk about this. What's the best way that Woven can begin to do stuff in the community. We're asking hard questions about which community. You know, we're a, we're a church that draws from different parts of the city, from east and west, but we're also talking about locality. What local area do we want to serve? And we're actively talking about this, and it's something that it's my hope and my passion as well, and I hope that I can lead us well in this, in serving, in serving the least among us. What's in your hand? What is that in your hand? Staff. Five loaves, two fish. What is that thing? What is that gift that you have? What is that thing that you're working on? That very thing, God's interested in it. That very thing, God wants to use it.